Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Welcome back to the Think Orphan podcast. Today, uh, we have a special, special episode with a, a longtime friend. He was one of our first guests on uh, Think Orphan. And uh, we're talking about Ukraine with Ruslan Malusha. Um, Ruslan, how are you doing today? Uh, thanks. I'm okay, given the circumstances. Yep. Okay. Thank you. Good yeah, to be here. Well, you know, it's it's always always good to have you. Like you said, it, I wish it was under different circumstances. But Brandon and I were talking, and we thought it would be really good to be able to get you on. Um, you know, the bio is is seems to be kind of not very important right now, but. But I think it, it, it's relevant to the extent, extent of, you know, you're one of the founders of World Without Orphans, which started as Ukraine Without Orphans. And, and so today, as we're talking about Ukraine and, and the, the war that Russia started a bit ago at this point, I think it was about a month ago, um, we wanted to talk with you and just bring you on and, and uh, see how, you know, the perspective that you bring is, is, is very, very rare that we can hear from someone, um, that that's actually lived it and, and, uh, has impacted your life in, in so many ways you're in your family. So, you know, before we get into that real quick, you know, just what, where, where, what are you, what have you, uh, the last four years or so, five years, I guess, since we, you've been on just real quick, can you give just a, an update on and where you're at? Um, obviously not, not, withstanding the last month or so, but just what, what are you, what are you working on? Um, I know you, you're no longer, uh, officially in official capacity with world without orphans, but, uh, what, what are you up to nowadays? Well, thank you, Phil. Yes, it's been, there've been quite a bit of changes over the past, uh, several years. And in a way, uh, a number of things have changed in what I'm working on at the same time, the context. Uh, that I'm working on has remained very similar, meaning that about 10 years ago, uh, I believe God has called me to focus uh, on serving globally, this world without orphans, of course, and I'm just continuously grateful for what God has done and continues to do. And there is certain joy in seeing what God is doing through something that you've been a part of uh, very closely. And now from a distance, I think I can, one thing that I've discovered that I can I can praise it more now that I'm not as directly involved uh, as mm-hmm. I can. So just really grateful for what God is doing there. Uh, I'm transitioned to, I'm uh, focused more on church collaboration generally, still with a heavy emphasis on children and families, but also looking more broadly at various church networks, denominations working together around common vision. Uh, I'm serving with, my ministry home is an organization called One Hope. It's a global ministry with the vision to bring God's word to every child. And uh, one of the probably one of the ways how uh, many of the listeners might be familiar is through Bible App for Kids. That is our collaborative project with Uversion and Life Church. There are many other uh, initiatives as well that are reaching literally uh, dozens of millions, more than 100 million children every year. So it's a privilege to be part of that ministry. But also I spend a lot of my time with other networks, uh, World Evangelical Alliance among them, uh, probably my key focus outside of One Hope, also 414 still involved with World Without Orphans to some extent. So all this to say is it's just I'm glad that I can continue to follow God's calling in my life and uh, in some small ways to be part of big things that God is doing um, in various parts of the world. Yeah, I too am, am very glad at that, that, uh, I mean, we, we still get to, get to connect here and there and, uh, I know we're working on some different things and the collaboration. I mean, I think you and I will always be collaborating in some way together. It's, it, it's funny because a little known fact out there is we share a birthday, um, you know, and, uh, which is, which is kind of fun, but I think that, uh, to see that, and I, I just love the fact that we, we get to, we get to do this stuff together. Um, while it's not necessarily uh, exactly working on the exact same project at any given time. I know, I always know that you're there working on great things and anything that you're working on, I know we can trust will be something that, uh, we, we can, we can partner with in some way and, and absolutely be doing some kingdom building work. So I appreciate you and I, and, uh, absolutely. All right. So, um, want to bring it back to, uh, just, just really talking about what's going on right now, the, the current, the current, uh, crisis, and really just go to start with a personal level. Just, just, can you just talk about 
how you and your family are doing. Um, just, I know I saw a post by your sister-in-law. So obviously your wife as well the, with Mar what, is it Mario pool. Is that how you pronounce it? Um, and are, are there, there folks It looks like are they, they're from there or live there. And, and that's so there's all the stuff going on. It seems like it's continually, literally every minute is something new, but, but how are you doing? And, and just from a, from a personal, um, specific you and your family, just, just, um, how are you doing throughout all this? I don't think it would be exaggeration to say that this has been uh, for the hardest several weeks of our life, and and we have been through some some uh, little challenges. So, uh, and it's interesting how God has guided us. I know it kind of sounds like a big statement, God has guided us, but that's essentially what we really want to do is to discern where God is leading, you know, us, what we can do to serve others. So our story has been uh, interesting. Uh, about two months ago, uh, of course, as you may remember, there were rumors of war for a while. Uh, I was not too concerned. Uh, the Ukraine had war in the East happening for past eight years, kind of on a slow burner, but still real war. Nothing of the current scale, but it was there. So I think most of us several months ago were thinking, if there's something is going to happen, probably is going to be in eastern Ukraine, maybe like escalation of the situation there, or Russia trying to to get more land. Um, so, but uh, about two months ago, I, as I was praying, I, I felt like maybe we should do something about the situation. And one thing after the other, my wife Anna and I, we started to sense that we need to go out, like we need to leave Ukraine. It was very odd because most of like most of my friends, colleagues, everyone like. Most I can I think I can say that most of people, at least that those that I talked with, did not anticipate a big war. I always felt that the big war is possible or a big war is possible, but I did not think it's likely. Just be honestly, just because how stupid it is to do it, mm -hmm. uh, even for Putin. And um, so, but then we, I mean, our, one of our friends in Western Europe in Switzerland, and she reached out, said that we can come and stay if needed. So, uh, so yeah, so we we. We sensed. I cannot say that we clearly knew that God told us to do this. I want to be careful with this idea. Now, it's not always easy to discern what God is saying, but we sensed enough reassurance between the two of us that uh, basically we packed up our things and uh, five kids uh, and and drove and drove to uh, to Western Europe. And I remember that evening before we were leaving very early in the morning. So I remember the evening we had our parents over at our place and it was still kind of like we are going um, hopefully we'll be back soon after the situation de-escalates and but i remember talking with on and saying no there is a possibility that this might be the last time we are here and uh, i still hope that that's not the case mm -hmm. but but we I, I remember that time when we talked about this we looked at each other looked look around you know, our place and so it was very emotional, and and then and then we came, you know, came here, and there were you know four weeks of kind of well, I mean, what did we do? Like, why did we approve the whole family and and came halfway across the continent, if things does not seem to be uh, actually getting worse? And it was not a huge change because I work remotely. I mean, mm -hmm. children study online, so relatively speaking, it was disruption, but not a major. Right? So anyway, it all changed on uh, at 5 a.m. on February 24th. I always remember exact time, exact date, because that's when our oldest son Max came into our bedroom and said that the war started. And the war started at a scale. Like I said, I I always felt that it's possible though unlikely, but I have never anticipated a scale uh, like it has happened with, uh, from the very first hour of the war. Seeing you know, all those cities being bombed, including the city that I grew up uh, close to, Ivano-Frankivsk, which is far in the west of Ukraine, almost like as far from Russia as it gets in, in our country. Seeing that city's airdrome being bombed during the first couple of hours of war. So that's when we knew that it's going to be bad. Like it's 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 gonna and of course as we all know now, one month into this, it is bad. It's a full blown, uh, horrible war that just devastated lives of tens of millions of people at the moment. And can you just uh, you you were you were living in Kiev, correct? Yeah, yeah. And so, 
So I just wanted to make sure that people understood like where you were going from and, and the devastation that's happened there that we've seen. And, and so from, from that, uh, on that note, I mean, even just hearing about the Western, uh, part of Ukraine, I mean, most people have no idea. <laughs> most people didn't even know where Ukraine was probably before this, that, that a lot of people listening probably are. Now they do, I would assume. Now I, I hear people from all over the world mentioning places that I would not even expect every Ukrainian to remember right away. Right, it's, absolutely. It's yeah. And so with that, I mean, we, we're, we're now getting bombarded with, with names of cities, with different places, just trying to figure out, you know, what's going on, why would they want to go there, what, what kind of, is it, what's, the, what's the, all the reasons for this. And so from the Ukrainian perspective, you know, just really... We've heard a little bit from you, but you know, we, we obviously are getting news from all kinds of different sources. And so from your perspective, from what you understand, I know you, your son, Max, I believe is the one who's, who's writing the, the updates that yeah, actually the updates that I post on Facebook and it's for some other channels are actually being written by my oldest son, Max. I just added them and sort of you work, he's a writer and car kind of correspondent or whatever word we can use for that. I'm kind of like an editor in a very small way. Yeah. Prepare them and post them. Yeah. So that's one source we can get information from, and that's on your, your Facebook feed, but also on world without orphans, Europe. Uh, there, it just kind of goes there. from there. Honestly, yeah. I have no idea where else it ends. Yeah. It's probably all over the place, but those are, yeah. So those are written by you, but do you have any other, I mean, obviously Max is getting it from somewhere. But what are some other news sources that you'd know of that you would recommend people can get? Um, I mean, because it's so hard nowadays to to understand what what is reliable, what is credible, what is everyone has their angle and has their uh, their bias, so to speak. And so, from the standpoint of just getting what's what's going on, what what would you say would be the best, most credible sources of information for people? No, this is a really important question uh, because uh, precisely because how much deception and lies are playing a role in this whole uh, situation. And of course, there have always been lies, there have always been deception, but I think its its role in the current war is just extraordinary, honestly. It's, it's mm-hmm. hard to imagine how much the whole thing has, is built on deception, how much it's driven by by lies, the whole the entire premise of what's going on. So I, I just can keep I keep keep sharing about this, but that's what that's what makes this whole question of how can we understand what's happening, and 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 again I cannot just say go to this new site and then you'll yeah. get accurate information. It's not as simple as that. I think there was a time, probably not anymore, when people thought that with internet being there with access being there it's going to become easier to figure out what's happening mm-hmm. and i feel like it has actually become more complex and it more mm-hmm. draw people to kind of choosing okay, if you're going to believe this or you're going to believe that much more so than trying to discern what's happening so honestly i i don't want to come across as super spiritual because i'm not but i would encourage those who are listening who are followers of christ to, to start with answering this question with really desire to discern what is it that is happening. Like even prayerfully, God help me to understand both on a macro level, like what's going on in the big picture, and also what it means for me, because there are implications while the war is happening in a specific place in Europe, maybe far away from a lot of people. But it's very clear to me, it's been clear from the first days of war, that this uh, situation has global implications, that somehow it's become, here's one, one example of this. No one talks about COVID. Just have like good luck <laughs> finding news about COVID anywhere. <laughs> and it's not like it's suddenly stopped. It just has been over, overcome or overwhelmed by, by what's happening there. So, so for, first, I uh, just would really encourage to be prayerful, discerning, and, and almost approach this as a spiritual exercise in discernment. Mm. And then, and then, in, in terms of, of course, getting information, getting data, uh, many of us who are from Ukraine, in Ukraine, I'm, I'm actually getting my uh, updates from Telegram channels <laughs> mm. because they seem to be very fast. So uh, usually, I learn things like what happened through them. Again, it's not like they're most reliable, but they're faster. And often it just happens because there's a lot of people who have access to uh, social media. I'll give you one uh, specific example. My son, Max, he moderates a Telegram channel for his college. 
he uh, that he goes to back in Kiev. Well, it's now all online. There are about 160 students from that college. I don't know if you remember, but a couple of weeks ago, a TV tower in Kiev got hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it actually a TV tower and Jewish memorial place got hit at the same time. So we were one of the first people who learned about this because his classmate lives across the street from there, and she posted video on their Telegram channel literally a minute after it happened, almost like the moment it happened. So that's how fast. Of course, there is a lot that needs to be filtered through, but by now we know kind of there are three or four channels that I'm following to get uh, fast updates about what's going on. And then I go to some new sites to learn how how it's being reported. So in a way, there is one way I learn about what happened, at least some of those things, and then how it's being reported. So, But generally, understanding context of a lot of people around the world, I would say uh, I, I'll go probably go to several more or less trusted uh, sources. I can point to BBC. I can point to CNN. I can, I mean, throw in Fox News for the balance uh, if you if you want to. And then Al Jazeera actually has been doing a fairly decent job. There were points in this, you know, over this month when I felt like Al Jazeera is doing even a better job than some others. Interesting enough. So what I do, I usually go to uh, three or four of those and kind of see more kind of balanced perspective on, on things. So that's so that would be my recommendation. And, and of course, in, in of course, connect with those who are close to what's happening, because they would also they would be uh, a good source of uh, more maybe more specific, more subjective, but also a good source of information. As you see, there is no easy way. Mm-hmm. Like uh, if you have if you have one, again, just choose. <laughs> and I'd say from, from the standpoint of, of you, um, as, you know, Ukrainian, obviously, what's, what's your perspective just from a geopolitical view? Like what, what is going on? Like what, is, what is really going on here? And from, like you said, it doesn't make sense yet it happened yet. Putin did it. And he's doing it. And it's not just him. It's, it's advisors. It's other people in Russia. And, and, but you're seeing soldiers that have thought it was an exercise that they were doing in Russia. They're, you're seeing other people that are, that are not wanting to do this because it's brothers and sisters in, in Ukraine, like sometimes literal. So well, what do you think is, is going on? I mean, obviously this is just one man one Ukrainian's view, but what? Yeah, this what, is just my, so. But, but I'll, I'll actually be quite specific because I think at this point, and by the way, I have not changed my uh, perspective on this, but now I think I can share this with more reassurance than before because there is, I, I think, there is an overwhelming evidence, at least from my perspective. And here is what I mean: I think what we are looking at, and history is really good assistant in this. I love history. I read a lot about World War One, World War Two, and more distant history. So I think it's a, it provides a really good context and kind of a backdrop for, for understanding what's happening. But briefly put, I think we're looking at what I can call now evil regime. Like we're looking at a very evil regime that, that sort of, uh, that is led by Putin and is, I think, designed by Putin. That that pursues his goals and uh, and goals uh, and basically and those goals involve, I mean, uh, invading, you know, subduing, and even sometimes destroying uh, other countries, other people, without regard to the human cost. And of course, someone has. So, what is it exactly that he wants? I mean, it's hard. I mean, I think I don't know. We can guess. Like, what did Hitler want? wanted to have like big rake, you know, have a lot of land and all that stuff. So there are different ways to, to, ways to explain it, but it's not a stretch to compare them. So similar, like we know now, like we, we don't argue was Hitler good or bad, was his intention. You may not understand exactly what he was trying to do, but we know there was evil regime that was uh, inhumane and that had to be stopped. So I think that that's uh, the same thing is happening with Russia. I can unpack a lot about the concept of Russian world and why Ukraine is so key, like why Putin, among, you know, of all places, he's so bent on, uh, on taking over Ukraine and on controlling it. Uh, it. So I can unpack a lot of that historically and from other perspectives. But the bottom line is that we have this kind of regime that uh, will not stop until they at least try to get what they want. 
So that's what people, a lot of people around the world and the West need to understand. This situation is definitely not about Ukraine being part of NATO only. Mm. Or this, I actually think that this is fairly, not small, but kind of secondary thing. It's certainly not about Russian language. It always, I'm always kind of, it's ironic for me to hear how it became a part of propaganda because most of Ukrainians understand Russian. There are a lot of Ukrainians who speak Russian. I mean, it's so, so it's certainly not about that. It's not about Russia feeling threatened by Ukraine or by NATO. So, so these are the things that, that prevent us from seeing what this is really about. And I just mentioned that. So it's about the regime trying to establish itself. That's why it will, he will not stop with Ukraine. Mm-hmm. So that's what I wanted to, to communicate. Like that it's, it's not about Ukraine either. If Ukraine will lose, if uh, Putin will roll over Ukraine or take over Ukraine, then there will be a next target. And, and, mm-hmm. uh, it, and next target is, Na- is NATO countries, or is a Western country, there's just no other direction to go. Yep. So, so, so that's, kind of, that's what's happening. So it's not exaggeration to say that Ukraine now is basically at the forefront of trying to defend whatever we can you know, define as civilized world from this kind of evil regime. Of course, every government is bad. So someone yeah. said there are other, of course, there are all kinds of things happening. I mean, talk about your bad government with U.S. people. So it's, but it's different. There is a mm-hmm. big difference between the functional government, corrupted government, and between an and evil regime yeah. that is human yeah. in its essence. So. And, and and as you're talking, Ruslan, you know, looking at the historical lens, looking at the geopolitical lens. You know, a lot of what we've seen specifically within orphan care, you know, when the Iron Curtain came down and people started to go into Romania and you guys were doing great work in Ukraine and we have people that are engaged in Moldova right now, like changing the way we care and other NGOs, you know, Hope and Homes for Children, like there are a lot of what we started to see over the last 30 years as far as orphan care actually came when the USSR broke up. And what we're seeing right now, you know, this is like the first, you know, invasion back into one of those countries that were part of the Warsaw Pact, right? And so um, I just kind of want to, if, if, if it doesn't end, you know, with just Ukraine, like, like you're suggesting, um, you know, what is that going to mean? you know, for all these children, you know, the, the great gains that you guys have made in Ukraine, right. With Ukraine without orphans, what does it mean for, you know, I, I always think of the Bucharest early intervention project, right. Which was this, you know, really phenomenal longitudinal study that we got on why orphanages aren't great for kids. Right. And that was all in Romania, right. All in that same region. What is this going to mean for orphan and vulnerable children? If this war continues on? And before I answer that, I mean, by the way, Soviet Union was an evil regime too. <laughs> like, oh, of course, yeah. World War II was that we, we had one evil regime, you know, being sort Fighting of on one side, game. another on the other, and you know, allies was aligned with one of. So it's come. It can get complicated. But of I course. also just want to be clear that Soviet Soviet Union was was mm-hmm. bad. Like a situation yeah that stalin, situation. Was, stalin was stalin terrible. was terrible i mean yeah. he killed more yeah. people within his own country than than exactly. you know than than even died that's in the war and that was like 17 million or something i mean it's that's crazy. why i call him inhuman same you can see the same thing with putin yeah putin has no compassion for his people he has no regard for his people it's sad to see how still how many people still support him in russia but it's very clear that that he he's ready to sacrifice Russian people as much as he's ready to kill Ukrainians. Yeah, and that's one of the that one of the signs that we are dealing with this evil regime. It's demonic. Uh, it is. Yeah, it is. Demonic. It is it's absolutely demonic. demonic. And, and we see this unfold now practically in Ukraine. These bombings. It's not accident that this has happened. And we can ask ourselves what what should take place for a neighboring country that has a lot of ties to get to the point when they're ready to bomb civilians to bomb hospitals to i just saw before this uh, before coming on this podcast i saw an update from Mariupol. remember that drama theater that got bombed mm-hmm. i mean the new evidence the new report is 300 people that you know, that got killed there and i'm afraid that this is not the last count just understanding the situation there so going back to your question brandon i think but we probably don't, I mean, regardless of how things continue, this is already a horrible disaster. Like, so if you think about children, specifically children in Ukraine, 
I, I say these days that every Ukrainian has been affected by the war and is suffering and is some kind of distress. And of course, it means every child is suffering. So the scale of this is something that I, I, I don't even try, I try not to even think about because it becomes really overwhelming. Like as someone who spent years in you know, working with vulnerable children who has some understanding of trauma and impact on trauma, I almost don't want to think what uh, we'll be dealing with or already are dealing with just because of the magnitude of this problem. And then because when the war, so we have so many children have actual experience of being bombed, you know, on being on scene fighting. We have a family of our friends who we helped to came to come stay in our area, just an hour drive. And we spend a lot of time with them. And, you know, they have, they have three kids under 12. And they spend a week living in the bathroom, hiding from bombings. Mm. So it's, again, fortunately, the, the building was not hit and so on, but that's just like 10 minutes away from where we live. So, so, so thinking about the impact of that. And of course, there are vulnerable children who were there already vulnerable. And uh, there are many, many people are now trying to evacuate children from children or from children's centers or from orphanages. So you have children experiencing multiple traumas and already before, and now sort of there is a layer of this horrible situation that they have. So, so my point is that it's already a very difficult, complex, uh, almost unimaginable challenge that we have, regardless of how the war is going to continue. And of course, as long as the war continues, as it is now, it's just going to be becoming bigger and bigger. We have like 130 five, I think, children has been killed. It, that's official number that we were able to verify, the government was able to verify. No one knows the real number. And can you say that number again, Ruslan? It's one, I mean, it's changing actually every day, but sure. it, I think it's been 135 as of yesterday. I might, I'll need to double check, but yeah. it, is, it is, I'm sure it's already bigger now. And this is official verified number that yeah. government was able to track. Yeah. And uh, and even one is 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 mm. a strategy. And now course. we have multiple of this. Yeah. So and undoubtedly, so, that's an under underreported number. You know, one hundred and thirty-five is terrible, but it's undoubtedly higher than that. You can't drop that many bombs and expect that you're yeah. not going to be killing children. Exactly, because like in Mariupol, there is no way to track. It's all circumstantial it's, kind of reporting and and so on. Same in some places in Kharkiv and. Even in north of Kiev, you probably heard this name, Zirpin Buche, just 15 minutes drive from where I live, 15, 20 minutes. And the places have been basically destroyed. Yeah. So there are mass graves of, of people. Yeah. Like That blows my mind that there is a mass grave 20 minutes drive from my home. Just people that, and it's actually a better scenario because there are many people that have never been able to be buried. So it's almost like this is not the worst situation. The worst situation, they just stay where they were killed. Yeah. And but uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's absolutely inconceivable. And and you know, it starts to when we have these large conflicts. And this has been a this has been a, a conversation that we've been having over the last several months on Think Orphan because we've looked at other conflicts as well. You know, a largely internal conflicts. You know, Ethiopia, Myanmar. You know, some of these other places. Um, but that this is happening the way it's happening is just um one country into another this is a nuclear power these are all factors that we very have very modern not... warfare you yes. have fighting each other dog fights i've never seen a real dog fight now i've seen videos of those yeah. you have ships fighting you have you know, rockets and missiles so it's like yeah, it's I don't. It's a new way. I mean, it's something new from that perspective. Yeah, it's a whole other level, and the effects that it's having on children. I mean, you mentioned children that have already died, verified cases. At the same time, we have children that are fleeing. Um, a, a, a source that I regularly use is Associated Press. I was reading there yesterday. They quoted the UN saying that 4.3 million of the 7.5 million Ukrainian children have now fled their homes, mm -hmm. including about yeah. 1.8 million refugees who have left the country altogether. So over half of the kids in Ukraine have been forcibly displaced and almost 2 million of them have had to leave the country altogether. So when we talk about refugees, right? And now we're really also talking about children outside of parental care, which is what this podcast is, is all about. They're a part of that. Yeah, They're absolutely problem. a part of that because that is uh, such a common occurrence in these conflict zones. 
So, um, you know, what are some of those other effects of the war on children? You know, those that have been forcibly displaced, like I just mentioned, or even those that have remained, obviously we already, you know, have, have at least one official death toll, but, um, what are some of those others that people maybe aren't even thinking about? I mean, there are some like obvious of a disruption of everything. I mean, that is affecting, uh, like, because even those who have not left already, their lives have been disrupted, but we know for sure like half the children has been disrupted in major ways. Everything about them, like about their life have been changed. Some it has it easier, like, I mean, in a way our family has been disrupted too, but at least we, we have a relative stability and more or less, we kind of know where that we can stay here. So, but there is huge disruptions. Then another, I mean, trauma, and even small things like, <laughs> I know that some people may feel like, oh, this is not a big deal. But for example, children not being able to take their toys. I know it sounds almost ridiculous in this, but it's going to be a big deal for children. Mm-hmm. You know, like my kids missed guinea pigs. You know, we have mm-hmm. parents, like we have in-laws who are still in Kiev, refusing to leave, and we really worried for them. But, but it was a bit surprised for me to see that children are very worried about guinea pigs that we had, and they also stay there. So again, it's it's kind of, uh, interesting to think about this, but that's how children think. That's how they re- respond to these kind of events. So, so there are multiple layers of traumatic experience that these children are going through. And then you have you have children from orphanages or for, who have been already, you know, vulnerable or abused, and that it just adds. You know, they already live with this sense of threat and instability, and 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 not being able to develop trust. And now suddenly it kind of all taken to, to to an entire new level by what's going on. Something else that I think some many people may not have been thinking, this is kind of a specific thing about this situation, is that when the war started in eastern Ukraine in 2014, it started pretty bad, bad too. Yeah. I mean, the, any war is bad, but sort of scale, in terms of scale, it was quite bad. And we had 1.5 million internally displaced people from that region, people who left their home pretty much like now, but it was seven, eight years ago. Many children too, so they relocated. So imagine, I know a lot of those, so imagine a family, maybe let's say they would have children two or five years old, they relocated, let's say to Kiev, they started everything from the scratch, they built their home, built business, and, I, and I'm talking about real cases now. And now eight years later, so this child you know, was five, now he or she might be 12. A lot of them are foster parents, you know, children or adopted children. And now they have to become refugees again in 10 years for the same, because of the same thing essentially. Also, I mean, flee in bombings and killings and so on. So there is an, I, I don't know if there is actually a term for that, like double refugee, I don't know how to say it, but I, I don't see this being discussed or this being reported, but we are looking at millions of people is that experience. So definitely hundreds of thousands of people who are going through a similar, if not worse, traumatic experience in less than 10 years, including many children. You know, and as we think about, you know, these children that are having to flee, they are being forcibly displaced, you know, that presents all sorts of other child protection, you know, challenges, right? Because now these kids are in transit. Um, you know, obviously we know that that uh, men of adult fighting age are not allowed to leave the country. So we're going to have at least separation from one parent in all of those regards. Um, you know, and we regularly see whenever whenever populations are forcibly displaced, there is always a disproportionate amount of children. So that's a common occurrence. So those stats that I was just giving from the UN, that is that is typical when we see yeah, these refugee situations. Stat. I've seen it with my own eyes. I was on the yeah. border in Ukraine and Poland just last week. And while the wave has subsided because there was many more, I mean, it was just a wave, literally. Now it's still there, but it's not as... But I was just standing and watching people who arrive on foot from Ukraine. And a typical picture would be of a woman with two or three children, sometimes other women there, maybe you know, relative or friends or a group of five, six, with a volunteer carrying a car, a shopping cart with their you know, belongings. So that's that I've been there, I've stood there for maybe 40 minutes and mm-hmm. this repeated one after the other, after the other. That's that's what I was seeing, looking at. It's, it's yeah, it's, it's 
it's inconceivable, uh, you know, for, for me. And yet now your eyes are actually conceiving it, right? It's, it's, it's really, it's yeah, really was, crazy. It was again, one of the hardest I could see and they, and you could see on their faces kind of mixed emotions because yes, they were sort of crossing into safety in a way, but, but, uh, but uh, this separation from their husband, it's not just separate. Like I, you know, I spend a great deal of time traveling. So I would, you know, leave family and then come back. But there was like, but this, it's very different because mm -hmm. they know that they leave their fathers, their husbands, their brothers behind in a war situation. And there is a good chance that they might not see them again. Yeah. So yeah. that makes this, I mean, much, much harder. Much harder. And I, I want to ask one question along the child protection front, which we're seeing with these forcibly displaced populations, which we're seeing with kids that have remained behind and gotten harmed or even killed. Um, I was just, and this is not on your prep document, so I apologize, Ruslan, but no um, Save the Children put out um, put out a call for a moratorium on intercountry adoption and surrogacy in this time of conflict. Um, I'm going to read from one child protection expert. This is me on LinkedIn shortly before this. Uh, so there's a very fluid situation even for us uh, hosts and producers. Um, so uh, Rebecca Smith, she's a child protection expert. She wrote, while adoption can be a wonderful way to provide a safe and forever family to a child, we must make sure that legal safeguards are in place. Due to the ongoing crisis in Ukraine, it is currently impossible to determine whether a child is in fact adoptable and to ensure that commercial or criminal gain, fraud, child trafficking, and the deception of birth parents do not play any part on the adoption process. Separated and unaccompanied children are extremely vulnerable to trafficking and exploitation and require additional protection. Um, and I just kind of wanted to throw that out there because we always want to be very, um, very honest about the child protection and risks, you know, that these kids are facing, um, you know, obviously Ukraine without orphans and, you know, a lot of your legacy has focused on that now domestic adoption, of course. Mm -hmm. um, but can you even share just a little bit about, you know, like, for example, I got a call. We don't get a lot of calls over here at 1 million home, but I did get a call. Um, the other day from somebody that had heard us at some outreach and said, Hey, I'm pastor so-and-so from Florida. And, um, you know, I'm calling because one of my congregants wants to adopt a Ukrainian, you know, and I'm thinking, well, we don't have, we're, we're largely based in sub-Saharan Africa. We don't really have much in, you know, Eastern Europe at all. I give him a referral to some organization that he could talk with that we know and trust. But um, that's one of the things that are on people's mind right now, which I think comes from good intention, but it also, there are child protection, you know, concerns, especially around intercountry adoption. Can you, can you speak to that a little bit right now and, and maybe just kind of weave in what can the international community be doing, um, you know, and, and what is this a time for us to be doing? Thank, I mean, thank you. Uh, in terms of adoption, I understand the, no, like the sentiment. I mean, it's war. Are probably children who are losing parents so why don't we adopt or let's adopt i would say i want to be careful because i understand the complexity of this but i would say i i think adoption is not something we really need to be thinking about at this moment for for a couple of reasons and one of them is because the systems are disrupted and then then which makes it a high possibility of things going wrong like you just heard two still most of children they are that's not what they need primarily so they have at least one of if not even a mother they have you know, someone other some other relative and there is a big like in the ukrainian society now there is a one there have been changes that you know god has used ukraine without orphans others so i would say that there is a really strong commitment to do everything we can to care for our people, to care for our children, even in this situation. So, so my point is that we need to, we need. I think the priority now needs to be protecting, uh, helping children to cope with what's going on, strengthening their support system. So, so thinking much more about how we can support those mothers, like millions of mothers with children. So I would say instead of trying to figure out how to adapt, which probably is not going to happen. I, I know it sounds sorry. I'll be quite straightforward. I mean, it's a war in my country. So I'm like these days, I'm usually less diplomatic than normal. So I'd say let, let's, let's kind of figure out how we can support those mothers. So it may not be as fancy. It may not be as kind of as, 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 as cool, but this is what's 
that's needed. And of course, there are children that that might need to be adopted eventually, but it's going to take a while to to figure. Even like even the children who are available for adoption, let's say, like they might be now in Germany or in Italy. Like there is there may not be legal process at all to do that, even for those that are clearly eligible for adoption. So I, I'm not discouraging us from thinking about this completely. I'm just saying that this is a time that we need to to focus on on with other things and and primarily to support those who are already caring for children and usually mm-hmm. parents or relatives or people and then also look at like in the situations where there are groups of children from orphans so what we can do to to to, to help them in that way so so this is this is one thing that uh, that that we need to be aware of and i think that Right now, the, a lot of the emphasis has been on helping people to move, helping people to relocate, to sort of provide them with first, which is which is needed. But it's 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 a very unprecedented thing how many people moved so fast. Mm-hmm. Like you have four million that left the country, another six or seven million who moved. So there's been a very rapid move. But what's becoming at the forefront now, or coming in terms of those what those people need is support not just these material things, but support emotional, support spiritual, support psychological, going through trauma. That's where churches can help. So so that's, I think, starting with the need, not with our idea of response, that's what we we, we, we want to look at. Similar situation, by the way, and you feel free to edit it out later, but I would say, <laughs> I would say if you, if someone wants to go and be a volunteer, I would just say, please don't. I know it sounds like maybe harsh, but uh, my my general response would be, please don't. And in some cases, I might say, okay, let's think about this. Here is why, because because uh, most of because and again, because main basically arranging opportunities to volunteer in those areas would divert energy and resources and yep. people from doing what needs to be done. So the lack of human resources is not the biggest need right now. There is a lack of supplies, there is a lack of funding, but there are people who are doing what needs to be done in both in Ukraine and in neighboring countries. Having said that, there is a need and it will be increasing on highly specialized volunteer engagement. Yeah. So, so identifying gaps, filling in and bringing expertise that is not there. What I'm referring to mainly is the idea, let's just go there and do something there, mm-hmm. which, which we should admit is like, that's a big part of this whole concept. So I know that it, it's great. Like I know that going and being experiencing this in person, but we need to be clear, this is not what is needed at the moment on the ground. Yeah. So if you want to do that, and if you're not this kind of specialized person that brings needed expertise there, there are probably other ways to help. Yeah, and I'm glad you said that. I actually was going to ask that very question, so we will not edit that out. I actually have said that to people. I'm glad that you confirmed what I have said to people when they're like, I just want to go over and do something. I'm like, just don't. Like, unless, and would you say, when you talk about the specialized, because everyone will say, well, I have the specialized stuff. I I have whatever, right? So what I would say to people, and, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, is, the only way I would say, yes, you have that specialized is if someone specifically asked you or said, we need X, Y, Z, and you actually have X, Y, or Z, that it was an affirmative, someone asking your church or asking you through a reputable organization that's already on the ground doing work saying, we need a psychiatrist or we need a whatever to be able to come and we need it now and we still need it. Right, and then to confirm before you go that they still need that, because like you said, it, it, need, it needs to be feel driven or feel initiated yes. or at least feel confirmed and confirmed not in a way because some people like if you're talking with someone that you're supporting financially is dependent, it's unlikely that person will tell you right away, no, don't come. Right. Also, I also want to ask those who are supporting that please do keep in mind that, that especially in the Eastern European culture, I mean they it's not. Come, Common to say, so so would want to be kind of smart in how you approach this, and and exactly if it's you want to be invaded, people who are working there saying this is what we need, 
or or you can offer because sometimes there might be gap that they are not seeing. But again, we just uh, we need to be very open to the possibility that this may not be the best way to address this situation at the moment. At least for yeah, now. Yeah. Again, if I'll just I'm just gonna say I understand there is uh, there is some a bit of enthusiasm now because it's on the news because it's so so visual. But unfortunately, I would say it's gonna be there for a while. Like even if it goes away from the news, I dream of a day now to wake up, open the news, and not see Ukrainian. I really, I literally dream about this. Although I know when it happens, there will be still a lot of issues there. So my point is that it's a it's a long term thing. Even if the war stops today, completely, which is not going to happen, probably, and you know, Russians move, remove, and so on. But even if that happens, we are looking at probably a couple of years, at least, yeah. of intense work to get to get things sort of back to not in, back to normal, but to into a new normal. Mm-hmm. for Ukraine. So there will be plenty of opportunities for, for, for everyone to do something. And there are opportunities for everyone now. I can share right. about them too, but, but sort of addressing some of the pain points at the moment. Yeah. And I'd love to hear that. Like what, what are we? So somebody says, I want to go. And you're like, well, don't go, but get involved. And what would you say? What would, you know, if you're sitting here talking to somebody out here in California or Washington, where Brandon is or anywhere else, the U S or Western uh, Europe or wherever, where somebody's like, I just want to go and, and get involved and help people in, in Ukraine or in Poland or Romania or Moldova or wherever people are, you know, going to, what would you say? Here's the best ways you can, you can actually help right now. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm happy to share them and, uh, and now it's not just my ideas. It's been, I would say it's been confirmed by by one month of of sort of <laughs> doing this with lots of people, not just in Ukraine but globally. So mm-hmm. one is to pray, and I really mean it. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I've been uh, very encouraged and you know, astonished by is how many people around the world are praying specifically. I cannot tell you how many calls, group calls, I've been to with all over the world, leaders from Brazil. Nigeria, UK, whole of Latin America, global, just hundreds of them. By now it's thousands probably of them that I spoke with on Zoom or other virtual platforms uh, asking what we can pray for, like how can how we can pray. And this is a really good question because I'm when I say pray, I mean pray intentionally, pray specifically. And again, I can unpack some of that. But, but this kind of pray, intentional, focused, diligent prayer, intercessory prayer, that is needed because I think that like, I think Brandon, you said earlier, there is a spiritual dimension to this. There is demonic powers involved. Again, I'm not really into all that stuff, but it's part of life. So we have to be aware of this. So there is demonic stuff involved. There is a spiritual aspect of this. That's why a lot of what's happening now is decided not in NATO headquarters, not in white house, not even, you know, in our president's office that seems to be getting a lot of attention now, and <laughs> as you've seen. And I I mean, that's a that's whole another story, like the change that has happened with our president. But it's not in those places. I think it's, it's, it's being decided in a spiritual realm. So I would just encourage everyone to be as intentional, as specific about this as possible. And I'm, and I'm glad to hear some people tell me, if you never prayed as, as, inten- inten- as intensely as this, uh, mm-hmm. and I'm glad because honestly, full disclosure, I can't do that now. I really can't. I barely, barely do the absolute minimum that is needed to keep me going spiritually. And I mean, I'm not sure if that is even like I probably need to to get to the minimum mm-hmm. level. So I'm asking, like, please join us because some of us like having a hard time doing that now because of mm-hmm. all of the other things that are happening. So, so, and this is not last resort; is the first response. And the second, I would say, help financially. Be very good. The best way to to help now is to get the money across into Ukraine and to those also who are outside Ukraine who are helping Ukrainians. And there are many ways how to do that. So I'm not promoting any specific, uh, but I know many great organizations, including Western-based, that are doing a really good work, raising money and getting them. I've been part of these efforts, and I'm so glad to see even some global networks I'm part of being, being within a week, literally within a week, establishing new partnership, discovering new channels and sending money into Ukraine that made a lot of difference. Banking system in Ukraine miraculously works and it looks like it's going to work. Now I can say it with more confidence than a couple of weeks ago. 
So it's possible to get funds to people directly in Ukraine. They can use them there, and it's 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 good news. So 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 sending money and this and uh, and yeah, I guess and and there, there's also of course matter of aid, especially those who are in Europe. And not just in Europe, in US to send in supplies. But with supplies, I'll just say again, start with what's needed, not with what you want to send. Mm-hmm. I can mm-hmm. give tons of example here, but but it's needed. But start with, and sometimes it's it makes much more sense to send money to places where they can buy it cheaper yeah. and then send it than to... Um, so this is like a quick overview of what, uh, what can be done, what literally every, any person can do. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like every time I, I use the extreme absurd example, but, you know, I've, we've all worked in the field at some level. So we've all, we've received boxes of used clothes and I'm like, you know, don't send your used underwear, right? Like, like that's, that's, you know, it's kind of absurd, but, but that we laugh because we've seen it, right? <laughs> you know, well, in a matter of clothes, I mean, we don't have to go far. So very briefly, when I came to the border, I've seen piles of clothes just laying there under open air mm. because, and honestly, even like I see these people arriving that I was just mentioning earlier, and they go through a corridor of well-intended organizations who have their tents and they're just being overwhelmed by stuff mm. and, and uh, that they don't need at the moment, most of that stuff. But then probably a couple of days later, they might have some very real needs that they may not be met. So we really need to think from that perspective, like how, what's the journey of the people? For example, most of them don't need clothes because I mean it's winter. They, I mean they they come with clothes, but they don't have summer clothes. So I would say probably mostly there is a much bigger chance that what they will need fairly soon is actually summer clothes, much more than winter clothes that they probably already have. Just right. simple things that you kind of you know if you know how it works, but uh, unless you ask or you know, then you might have very strange ideas about what they actually need. Yeah, which is always the old adage that we always talk about, which is, you know, talk to the people who are on the ground, talk to the people who know, talk to the organizations who are who have been there, who are there now and who will be there later. Um, and I think that's a, that's a that's a safe thing. So we we will have some organizations that will list if you have some Ruslan, you know, you can send to us. We can put that on the show notes for people just because I know people really want to say, because there's a lot of fraud out there that goes on with things like this too, right? So there's a lot of organizations that pop up and they're- It's not just fraud, but I risk in also not making more friends by saying this, but there are a number of organizations who kind of the, the journey that money take to get where they are needed mm-hmm. is really long. <laughs> so when I say uh, financial help, support financial is the best way, I mean, if you're able to get money relatively fast to people that need it most. So that's yeah. when it's like, if they're going to come like two months from now, I mean, it's still going to probably helpful, but we don't know where, like there are people that literally won't be there to, to, to have them two months from now. Absolutely. One thing that is a little, uh, it, you, you alluded to it. So I wasn't going to bring it up until you kind of alluded to the change of Zelensky is now this like world hero that I understand was not no, necessarily the most popular president that Ukraine's ever had before all this happened. And that's what I've heard from some different people. So what, 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 I mean, basically gone from nobody knew who he was outside of Ukraine to a household name now everywhere where I literally saw Zelensky for president on a, on a truck in San Diego, California last week. Um, and so what I've heard that now we have a president that, uh, you know, everybody likes and everybody votes, but uh, he's president of another country. I heard that from the U S like, <laughs> finally we've got a president that everybody likes. Yeah, exactly. The and that's basically what's, going. Is not the so, US hey, what, what's the, what's the perspective there? I mean, what, 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 what was it like before? You know, it's what, funny and it's funny in much more literal way than, than I would usually say. So briefly, by the way, he was a popular president when he became okay. president. That's why he became president, because he was a very popular comedian, a good businessman. So he was star of a show that he produced uh, about a teacher, math teacher, who become accidentally president of the country. And, and people li- loved the idea. They loved the idea of someone relatively simple, you know, becoming president of the country. They loved mm-hmm. it to, to a degree that they actually decided to make him president. So mm-hmm. when he did become president, he had 70% support. 
okay. which meant only one thing in the Ukrainian context. It's uh, it's going to be only it would have been only downhill journey from him, <laughs> and it was <laughs> like he's been just steadily because he, I mean you can go up from seventy percent only if you're like Putin and you can sort of make things yeah. up. Right, but it's real. It's only goes down. So, so it's been going down. I would say that he's been. He actually has not been a bad president. Interesting enough, he's done a fairly decent job from my perspective. Of given, you know, he mm -hmm. he had uh, he had a lot of challenges to deal with. Some of them, sort of, <laughs> helped by uh, his uh, American uh, colleagues. And and so so it's been a difficult journey. But what we are seeing now is something of a whole another degree. So. So he was a comedian and businessman that kind of almost accidentally became president, did an, an okay job, but nothing extraordinary. And then suddenly when the war, not suddenly, but when the war started, he actually turned into a real leader mm -hmm. that is inspiring, not just the country, but, but the world. And he is inspiring the country. I can see it very clearly in how other governmental officials are acting, how city mayors are acting. Mm -hmm. So this is, there will be books, there should be books written about what we are observing. Because this is one of the more amazing stories of leadership. I don't have explanation for this, by the way which means that there might be some some kind of supernatural thing involved that's because I don't know what gave him strength to remain under threat in Kyiv. Because I know that he's good in, in, in sane speeches. I know that he has some good speech writers. So some of these have very kind of normal explanations, but a lot of these don't. So again, I don't want to kind of over-spiritualize this, but I think there is an element here that I can only explain by some kind of supernatural interference that 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 allowed him to demonstrate the exactly kind of leadership that is needed and is so lacking it would have been a different journey i don't want to overblow like blow, blow it out of proportion but it would have been different situation without him and i wish there was a leader in west of this kind who can stand up to putin from a different sort of platform and and then we probably would not have had this war last that long if you had that kind of leader uh, in the west yeah this is a you know, we're, we are all tracking along with, you know, um, you know, what's going on. And I, and I agree. I think President Zelensky has been inspiring um, in, in a lot of ways. And, you know, we've been thinking and praying. I, you know, I took a, a for the class that I teach, you know, when we started to see some of this stuff come out, I just, you know, hey, we're just going to spend this evening talking about Ukraine because this is really significant. So um, we're thinking, we're talking, we're praying, you know, about what, about what's going on there. You know, Ruslan, as we, you know, wrap up this, uh, this interview, um, I think I would just kind of want to give the floor to you and just say, you know, for, you know, the, all the people that listen to this podcast and specifically those believers that are, that are really concerned about orphan and vulnerable children, what, what would be that number one message that you would share, you know, with, with this audience or even more broadly, you know, what do people need to understand about, about, about the Ukraine, about Ukraine right now and about, you know, the, the people they're in. Mm -hmm. Thank you for giving me this chance. Uh, first of all, but I do want to say, first of all, thank you all. Like saying thank you because I know and I would my guess would be that a lot of listeners, if not most of listeners of this podcast would be in that category of people who are caring, praying, thinking. So I just want to thank you. And I really mean that. And in terms of message, I think I mean, there are so many that I can share. But let me focus on this on one, because knowing that so many of listeners are people in this space, you know, adoptive parents, foster parents, those who champion it, I would just ask you, please continue to do this. <laughs> Let's continue to do this. Yeah, this is a hard situation, but but that's that the, the vision is there. Like I know, uh, there's still a question in the back of my how come the country that God has used to spark this vision that mm. part of what I consider a major global movement in the church and beyond, how come it got to the point when it's uh, facing such a such a challenge? And and but I don't think it's an accident. And having said, since I've touched on this now, I would say that I'm hopeful. It's very hard situation, but I'm hopeful that God will not only uh, let Ukraine to basically let Ukraine survive, but He will help Ukraine to go through this and and come out of this even stronger. 
country. And, uh, and there will be something that I think you can do in the middle of this valley of death that would, would make sense maybe later. But I'm really hopeful about that. So my message, please continue. Continue to champion vulnerable children. Continue to care for them. I mean, if you have them at home or you're supporting others, just continue to do so despite, regardless. Like it might seem like, how do we talk about Ukraine without orphans when country is thrown to pieces now? But it doesn't change the reality of this vision. God looks at every child. He wants every child to be in loving and caring home. And he asks his church to do something about this. That vision has not changed in Ukraine or outside. So continue with that. And also, if you have a chance to support something specific in this context, like you know organizations that work in this, and I can point to some of them, or you know just even families, you know adoptive families or foster families in Ukraine or maybe who are not refugees, this is probably one of more tangible ways. Just reach out. And if you're wondering if they need help, the answer is yes. Uh, I mean, there are very few, except we actually represent, like in January, say, like at this moment, our family does not need uh, support. We might need in the future, but at this moment, no. But this is very rare exception when it comes to Ukrainian families. And I would say if that family has an adopted or foster child, I would doubt that there are actual exceptions there at all. So, so if you know those families, please reach out. Uh, support them in some way, I mean, with money, with prayers, with other things. If you can welcome them to your home, that's another very practical way, especially if you're in Europe or now U.S. is opening up for refugees. So so I would just encourage you to focus, I mean, to do what you can, particularly looking at those who are vulnerable children and those who care for vulnerable children. Just on that note of sending money to the individuals, like if you, if we have friends and you know which which i know i do and and so um thanks also for being honest about that with yeah. you like just to just like we we're good right now and we'll let yeah, you know we'll send a we'll send a we'll send a message out if you're not good you'll let us know and we'll send a message out if you're not at some point but it, we actually Western, are so focused on doing this that I think we might have spent less this month than, than <laughs> in a long time just because we literally don't do anything besides eating. And <laughs> That's right. Um, Western Union, like what's the what's the yeah, what's the exactly. way to send money that because I know I don't I, somebody said, hey, can you send Western Union? I'm like, I don't even I've never used Western Union. It seems like it would work, but. I don't know. So, so, so let me give answer and then feel free to include whatever you want in the final cut, but I can yeah. actually give a specific answer to this. So there are several ways. Western Union is a simple way for two reasons. One, because Western Union waived all the fees. Okay. So even transfers that used to be very expensive but would take like a few minutes now are free. So if you're in the US, it's very easy. You install an app on your phone, you connect it to your bank account, and then you can literally send money to your uh, friends or people you know in Ukraine in minutes. Okay. And, they, and they can receive it on their app, on their phone. They don't need mm. to go anywhere. Just in case if you were, they need to go, they don't. Like they can get it here and can, can use it for you. So Western Union is a very good way. Then another way would be to send money to their cards directly like bank cards, and there are a couple of ways that I've discovered to do that. One is an app called PaySend, and uh, I'm not getting any commissions, but they also free it. <laughs> they also made. That's amazing how many companies have done something now to help. Yeah. So I think PaySend have also, I've been using Western Union, I have not used PaySend, but I've had credible reports of people using it. So it's also a simple way, create an account, and then you can send money to directly to other people cards. And you can also wire money from your bank account to people cards using bank information. So if you have, let's say, Ukrainian, they would be able to access that information on their app very quickly and send it to you. It's a bit more complicated because it's like it's like a wire and it might cost you. But I'm just given several ways. Yeah how to do it that is fast, that is reliable, and, and people can actually use it on the other side. Yeah, because I, I think the big question I've asked from people is just, I just want to make sure the money gets there, and I totally get that. I'm I'm with them, right? The so, ways I've talked about, it takes Western Union, PaySend, and other, there are other similar platforms. It literally takes minutes. And one thing you need to keep in mind, by the way, and many people probably don't realize it, Ukraine is a very digitalized country one of the most digitalized countries in the world, both by using digital solutions. We have nine out of 10 people having smartphones in Ukraine and our banking system is all digital. Like I forgot when I went to bank or had money in my hand, it's all in my phone for years now. So, and still, I still use my Ukrainian 
card here in in in, in Switzerland. So and actually I use my phone. So my point is that it's I yeah I'm just it's interesting how it still works and it looks like uh, the main bank in Ukraine has moved their service to Poland several year, year, weeks ago to as a precaution from uh, like what happens if the HQ will be uh, taken over and so on so all this i mean i'm spending a bit of a deal but i think this is actually a very practical way and i know that a lot of people in us know families in ukraine because organization they have a lot of red tape you know it takes a while so one of the fast way like if you know someone personally if you know that you can trust that person don't respond to schemes on internet don't respond to random people showing up saying you know uh, send us right. money send them to those people you know and those that can get feedback to you that it worked Absolutely. Well, Ruslan, thanks again for just, uh, well, first of all, for your friendship. Uh, thank you. I'm, I'm very grateful for you uh, as a friend. I'm grateful for you in all that you're, the work that you're doing and have done and will continue to do. I, I just am so encouraged by what God's done in and through you, uh, the other folks that uh, you represent as well. So thanks for taking the time to be with us to share this. And, uh, folks, you know, I just want to point you continually to Ruslan's, uh, Facebook, uh, updates to be able to get updates on how to pray, uh, and how to continue praying. But, uh, thanks Ruslan. Thank you. All right, folks. Well, we are going to tie a bow on this one and, uh, just really thank you for listening to this and, and engaging, uh, thanks in advance for engaging in the ways that Ruslan was talking about. And any other way that God leads you, um, hopefully consistent with the with the caveats on on the help. Um, so with all of this, folks, we just hope that you take what you learned today and you use it to help you to understand how you can love the people of Ukraine and other orphaned and vulnerable children better and better each and every day. Thanks a lot. Have a great week. We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. For all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan.